Welcome to Crowding the Garage. I'm Corey Cope. I'm Freddie Woff. And we are starting a new series. And we kind of mentioned it. We kind of teased it last week. But kickstart the week before because we gave you a surprise last week with one more number two. Boom. Yes, we did. The king of number twos. <laughs> the king of number twos, at least for the, what we covered for number twos. Right. At least for what we covered. We're kicking off our, what we're affectionately referring to as the Dark Castle Month is House on Haunted Hill. It's a, sort of a remake. Sort kinda. of. Uh, almost sort name of. only, kind of, really, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's a reimagining. Yeah, a portion of the premise is is from the original um, William Castle movie of the same name with Vincent Price, but only in the competition part of, of the whole thing. The, but the, the uniqueness of the movie where they put their own spin on it is this whole doctor and experimentation and the fact that this house really isn't a house. It's a it's an asylum, or at least a former asylum. Anyway. Was, right. Crazy, weird asylum, too. And where my question is... Yeah. Where in the fuck is that castle? And where is that place at? <laughs> right. It feels like Hollywood, but suddenly you're in Malibu or somewhere. <laughs> yeah. It, 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 or it feels like maybe mid Northern California. It doesn't feel like anywhere in SoCal because it seems like prime real estate. <laughs> right. Somebody would tear that fucker down. They'd throw Chris Catan to the wolves. And also, as we, you know, you pointed out, like, it, it, is it SoCal? Because I don't know any cliffs like that that run along the Pacific coast, uh, run run along the Pacific ocean, anywhere in Southern California. No, man, it looks like something out of vertigo. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, even Palos Verdes is, is still got a whole bunch of beach between the water and the cliff. So I don't know, but it's so moody. That's for sure. And it sets the tone really well for what the fuck's going on. It's a, I mean, yeah. I mean, dude, I was, I remember when this was coming out, I remember seeing the trailer. I was super stoked. I saw this in the theater, yeah. like opening weekend, you know, I was way into the whole, everything that they were showing me. And I, and I wasn't really, I wasn't disappointed. You know, some of the CGI at the time I thought was like, you know, uh, cause CGI was becoming everywhere, but um, right. th- this is a fun movie. With Dark Castle Entertainment's first movie, they were smart and said, Hey, you know what? Let's make sure we at least have good physical makeup effects. And of yeah. course, they turned to KNB. KNB was really on the rise at this point. And they were the go to shop for this kind of stuff. And Winston would handle all the big monsters type, type stuff like Jurassic Park or Terminator stuff, that kind of stuff. Rick Baker was kind of handling more of the fantasy stuff. And KNB was, as far as these through the three big shops, and KNB was handling, sorry, KNB would handle the, all the makeup effects. But the thing is, this is a, a production company that was started by Robert Zemeckis and Joel Silver, and neither one of them are new to the game of nice, good-looking, practical special makeup effects because these guys started Tales from the Crypt all those years ago, and you wouldn't, you would never see one episode of Tales where it just didn't have some really great gore shots in it, and mm-hmm. they understand the importance of that stuff. Even though you have the CG in there, it's okay, and that's something you see a bit in the Dark Castle series and the movies that we're going to cover, there's definitely some CG involved. But as you said, you're starting to see it more and more. But it works in this movie because when they do use it, it's not for gore as much. I mean, you see some things, but it's mostly there to show the spirits and the ghosts and things that you just aren't going to be able to pull off physically anyway. Yeah, I mean, they do. They use it to enhance the story. They're not like building the world around it. You know, it's a 
that's practical right. sets with practical effects, you know, highlighted by CGI. Speaking of practical effects, uh, practical sets and all that stuff too, they are literally 10 minutes away at, at Santa Cruz Studios where they shot the majority of this movie. They do that one thing that's super smart when it comes to movies like this, other than the opening at the theme park, for the most part, this is a one location kind of situation. Oh, yeah. And it really makes a difference on how quickly you can produce a movie, the fewer setups you have. And uh, if you think about it, even though this former asylum slash <laughs> house has a whole bunch of rooms, they're really great on how they manage the rooms and how they set dress them is that they were the same rooms most of the time. They were just kind of swapping some of the props are just kind of swapped out and some of the furniture changed out and stuff. And it, it otherwise it's the same room and just different angles. But this is how you make a, a movie, even though it's technically a studio movie, you know, or do you want to call Dark Castle a mini major, but it's still being released by Warner Brothers. It's still a big movie. It's a $40 million movie, man. It, they, they had plenty of money. Oh, yeah, yeah. But yeah, I think it went to other people's pockets because even uh, even though it's on screen and you see it, you, the, the, the production value is very high being the experience people that we have on set, you can, you can, we know what they did. And, uh, but it's a beautiful set too. That's another thing too, is just like the haunting, the remake of the haunting. It's, it's like that. It's got, it's really just gorgeously well-built, well-crafted construction. And, and it really just sells the mood of the movie before you even get going. The movie kind of starts off with the, with when it is an asylum and, Hey, what a surprise. They have a psychotic doctor. It's Jeffrey right? Combs. Shocker. Right. I mean, dude, I knew it was going to be good. The moment I saw Herbert West was in it and I was like, Oh fuck, this is good. We're in for a treat. He, and that's, he was so great about him is that because of his history of performances, he doesn't have to say anything in this part. You know, he doesn't have, all he has to do is look creepy which he is a master of. I think that man spends, like most actors do, a lot of time in front of the mirror making faces or shooting video of themselves, making sure that, uh, you know, how effective they can be with their uh, contortions and different facial muscles. But he's, fuck, man, he is the king of playing the creepy doctor, at least these days anyway. And he fucking, to a tilt. The movie gets set in place. The reason why it becomes a haunted hill house <laughs> it's, is because, well, the inmates in the asylum get loose. Right. The, the lunatics have taken the asylum. And they are, they're exacting the revenge on Dr. Vanica because the dude is experimenting on them. Yeah, man. And experimenting while they're completely conscious and aware of what's going on with them. Right. No anesthesia. Oh. And, yeah. He's up to some fucking nefarious shit there, man. Yeah. Yeah. And, and they, and so when he gets his comeuppance and he, and he gets a little bit of taste of his own medicine, uh, it's, it's, it's pretty, yeah. You're like going, oh, well, man, well, we just got introduced to you, but we know enough about you in about 30 seconds. So you are getting that, what you deserve. That first shot with the dude sharpening the pencil <laughs> and blowing <laughs> on it. Right. Yeah. Sets, yeah. You know exactly what's going to happen and where this shit yeah. is going to go. It's great. It's, it's super yeah. simple, dude, but there is something so like literally it's, it made me anxious the moment he pulled that pencil and how sharp you know, my first thought was like, I've never been able to get a pencil that fucking sharp. <laughs> Second, I was like, Oh, this, this isn't going to end well. And it doesn't. No, no. It all goes to shit. 
really fast. And I thought that there's one thing I thought was a little clever, a little parallel is the very beginning when he, when he's doing all these experiments, he's actually got one of his nurses running a hand cranked film camera the whole time recording all of his exploits. And when they get overrun by the inmates in, in their uh, rebellion, <laughs> one of those uh, inmates was paying attention in one of those times that he's on the table because he knew how to set that camera up. <laughs> right. Because it gets knocked over in the melee and then he sets up the camera to make sure the world gets to see the doctor and his and his nurses getting their their just due. And uh, it's pretty it's pretty graphic. And I think to a point where they might have gotten a, a something more than an R rating because they go black and white on it. You know what I mean? Right. And they kind of mm-hmm. think that they, they were doing that thing that, that Quentin had to do with Kill Bill and make it black and white so he can get his his R rating. Right. But it sets the tone for the movie and why the movie is called House on Haunted Hill. And it's because now the inmates and the doctor and the nurses. I, and I love the fact that, you know, Herbert West just goes fucking right for the fucking switch. I don't give a fuck. I'm not getting yeah. out and neither is anybody else. And he throws the switch and the fucking dude, they, they all die. So not, not only are they being just the, the staffs being mangled and eaten and ripped apart and jammed with pencils. Then there's a goddamn fire yeah. <laughs> and they all burn to death. Yeah. Which we learn in a moment or two. And I thought that was really clever that the, you know, when he shuts down the whole place and the shutters come down all over the place and on the doors and the windows and put the place in lockdown, it's, it's a cool little parallel between some little foreshadowing that you're going to see of those shutters being utilized later in our present day, as well as that film camera now has been replaced by a video camera by one of our, one of the stars of the modern group that comes through and it's been been invited to be involved in this contest to stay the night in the haunted hill house. It was just this cute little things like that. And then they cut to <laughs> a theme park and Jeffrey rush. Now, if you, most people know Jeffrey rush from the pirates movies, I would say um, he, but sure. But he was kind of new to the game in 99, as far as like be, being in a studio film like this. Uh, as far as an American studio film. I think I'd only really known him from like those Neil Jordan movies he was in. Right. Or was that Stephen Ray? I get him confused. It's just, dude, that, yes. that's easy. And speaking of confusion, he's got sunglasses on and a thin mustache. And I swear to you, if you don't think this is James Woods, you have your sound turned down. Sure. Watch. Yes, absolutely. Watch it with, watch it with your eyes closed for the first 15 minutes <laughs> and open them. And then you're going to be like, where the fuck is James Woods? It's, I swear to God, dude, I had the exact same thought you did. <laughs> James Woods from the hard way is what he's going for here. And at least that's what I think. It's just too on the nose for it, Mr. Rush not to have used, utilized James Woods' performance with uh, Michael J. Fox in the hard way as being his model for who Stephen Price is. Now, Stephen Price in this case is a super eccentric, super rich man who's always trying to, uh, he's always trying to be tricky. There's always a twist to something he's done. It's not real because he's got full control over the situation. Not unlike Mr. Castle when he would go for wall his movies back in the day. So not only is this movie a remake or a loose remake of a William Castle movie, which had been, you know, Vincent Price and then Jeffrey Rush's character is actually the last name's Price, a little homage to Vincent himself. 
but also just as much as his character, his character himself is a homage to William Castle himself. And uh, man, he does not, dude, Jeffrey Rush is as great as Jeffrey Combs is, as Vannicut and like being the perfect evil doctor and psychotic doctor. Jeffrey Rush is perfect in this role. I mean, he's just, Oh, Every scene he's not in, you're kind of like, come on, when, when's, when's Price going right. to show up again? I bring, bring, yeah, I mean, this and Quills, man, are my two favorite Jeff, uh, Jeffrey Rush movies. And yeah. this one, dude, I was like, I, I'm going to, I'm with you. I, there were moments where I'm like, where in the fuck is Jeffrey Rush? Well, hurry up, come back. <laughs> the movie's starting to lag. I don't care about any of these people. <laughs> right? Yeah, Famke Jansen is also and we we get introduced to her very early on, and right after we get, uh, right after actually before the interview, right? Yeah, it's before the she interview. She calls him, yeah, yeah, exactly, and and he has to like bail, and then uh, there's the whole thing with the list. But I don't. Do we actually see her, or do we just hear? Or is it just a one sided conversation? Now I forget. But yes, no, because we, like, we see her in the tub. Right there, you go. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and you haven't really seen Famke that much. You know, she hasn't come to to be in, in you know Jean Grey in the X Men movies, but we know her from the Faculty, and of course, Deep Rising, which is one of our favorites, and Goldeneye, and Goldeneye, yeah, of course. Um, Lord of Illusions is one of the other ones that we saw her. She's in for a short amount of time, but again, she's the perfect frustrated wife because you can you see really quickly. By the way. After she gets off the phone with with Price, that Mike, oh my gosh, yeah, now you know why she's frustrated, you know, wife to this guy, because he's always fucking with people, and all she just wants, she just wants a divorce, man. She doesn't want to be married to him anymore because, well, he, you know, he's because too busy. it's not all that much fun. No, it's boring. The thing that she was attracted to is now worn its welcome yes. with it, with her. It's like an old she's pair of shoes. It. This is a time where she was just, she was kind of like the it girl. And, and it's why she got a big movie like X-Men. And one thing I thought was cool about her is like, she didn't, she didn't stick to studio movies. I no, love, I, I mean, love the character that she plays in Made. you know, the swing, yeah. call it the swingers, you know, and I, she's great in that because I'm like going, cause you usually like her until you see Made, and you're like, oh my gosh, you're, you're a terrible person. You're awful. And it really showed that she can actually pull off likable and she can pull off very unlikable. Yeah. I mean, Circus is another movie I loved her in. And and City of Industry, I think maybe is the first thing I saw. Did, did I see City of Industry before Bond? Maybe. But yeah, man. she Dude, there was a point where she was in everything, right? Like yep. somewhere. They just, whatever. Hey, yeah, just put her in. She's got one line. Right. But yeah, she's she's super great in in the faculty. I love it because you get to see the. I just talked about her seeing two sides of her uh, of her performance coin in different movies. You get to see two sides of it in one movie. You get to see her be the super low key librarian type teacher at this at the high school to the uh, little bit of a siren when she gets taken over. Ooh, did I give something away with that movie? That's a fun movie, by the way. And and I think it's getting a little more uh, attention. And I think it's a fun movie. Anyway. But she's great in this, but the but the rest of the cast too is pretty fucking stellar. And it really works. We you know, we talked about Tay Diggs when we covered Go. When everybody congregates on the house and they're meeting at the front gate and the top of the hill, we're being introduced to the rest of the cast. We've only seen Jeffrey Rush and Famke Jansen and 
uh, that, that's really it for the, for the cast that ends up going inside. Other than Max Perlick, who is Stephen Price's assistant, we see him at the theme park briefly. But where we're seeing Tay Diggs and then Peter Gallagher. But Chris Kattan is there to meet all of them. Because he somehow owns this fucking house. <laughs> <laughs> and part of me is like going, is this weird casting? But he, he he's not annoying. Look, he can dude, be annoying sometimes. You know, Corky Romano actually does okay in this. This is his best performance. I think so. Yeah. He's not annoying. It's definitely better than Corky Romano. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's what I'm saying. You know, maybe that's, that, that's William Malone, the director's capability of just kind of bringing a performance out of people that you're not used to seeing. Like Allie Larder in this, she sometimes can be a little bit much. And I don't mean she's annoying or anything. I just mean like she's given some weird direction and then she's just a little too, maybe she goes a little too aggro, might a little bit put a little too much acting into the job. Same thing with Bridget Wilson. I, I, she seemed pretty chill. It's a, I mean, again, it's, dude, it's a very small, tight cast. At the heart yeah. of it, it's a, you know, it's a murder, it's a haunted house murder mystery. Yeah, that's the, the, another extra part of this is that, that Price is putting on this, this birthday party for his wife, Evelyn, at Famkin Jansen Place. Of course, all these people that show up there, they weren't on the original invite list that we see over Jeffrey Rush's shoulder. Right. Because as soon as he leaves... And his laptop is still on and left open. And we see the list. We see nobody sitting in the chair, nobody at the keyboard, but it all gets deleted. And the new list is created. And all these characters that we're now introduced to are get listed. And uh, it's, you're like, ooh. And that's the first ghosty thing that we see, right? Yeah. You know what's weird? Did you notice that the apple is upside down on his laptop when when, when they're shooting at him? Yeah, the first power books that Apple put out, that's what they did. They're right. They were, right? Yeah, it's so weird. It was weird because they thought that the the user wanted to see the Apple logo before they opened it. That was always the idea. But like when you when you see it now, like 20 odd years later, it looks right. so weird and it's so like, what the fuck? What do they know yeah. that that's upside down? Well, of course they did. But yes, it was just, it was a, it was a thing I had forgotten, but when you see it, it's really like eye catching. It is. And, and I think it was the, when the power book had a full redesign and they made the G4 power book is when they changed it. So there you go. Crazy stuff. Yeah. But, just a little, just a little weird 1999-ism. <laughs> yep. <laughs> so we're, here we are in this place. We're getting introduced to these characters because what I thought was really cool too is they don't spend a lot of time, as as you like to say, they don't make a meal of introducing everybody, even though, because we don't need to know anybody. And just, I mean, you're not even given a single line of information about these people. Oh, I, yeah, I used to be on, I was on reality TV. I was a former actress and they don't spend a lot of time doing it. I was a baseball player. I was a doctor. You know, you get that. You get that. That's what you get. And that's. It's something you would see in a play, some exhibition that you would get a, a you know character saying, "Hey, yeah, my name is uh, my name is Eddie, and I used to be a baseball player." Oh, cool, Eddie, and that's that. And it's really again, it's not important to all this. We know that they were invited by a ghost. We know that they're, they're part of a haunted guest list, and but we don't know why. And eventually, we learn that as time goes on what's going on here. And we discovered that everybody that's been invited to this, they are descendants of Dr. Vandekut's former employee. 
With the exception of one, but we don't know who that is. We don't know who that is. In some ways, there is actually one other that's that's not really and then part in of. In some ways, there's two that aren't, and we don't know. Yeah, that's what you know. That's what I remember when I said there's some there's some weird logic issues. Yes, story points that kind of go back and forth, and it, but it doesn't matter. It's not gonna it's not yeah. gonna ruin the movie for you. The one gets revealed, and you're kind of like, oh, well, okay, that makes sense. That, but how did you get on the list? Right. Right. <laughs> but one realizes that they're, that that this particular, this character is not on the list to begin with. I don't think I need to go back and watch it again because once you get that reveal, you're like, wait, are you even on the list or did Evelyn just invite you? Cause that's, that's what it comes down to. I think, right? Yes. Uh, Gallagher's character wasn't really on the Gallagher's list. Gallagher's character is not out. on the list. Yeah. Right. He's not on the list. It's a great setup too. Then when you start seeing one of the, that one character that we're talking about in particular, that's not on the list and he starts doing things that kind of go hand in hand with the house, you're kind of like going, wait, now you're starting to, you start questioning this dude and you're like, wait, what's this dude's problem? Right? What is his deal? And we define to find out that this person's in cahoots with, with Fanky Jansen's character, Evelyn. It doesn't seem too convoluted because you're kind of already like you're you're buying into the fact that it's you know it's a ghosty it's a ghost situation. Yeah, man. By the way, why didn't the why didn't the ghosts know that that one person that we're talking about right now, but the other person, how did they not know that part? He's like, man, I don't know. They're, you know, they're ghosts. They've been you know they've been locked up in that house for sixty years. You know, they might have forgotten. They you know they get slack. You know how it is. You're plotting this giant elaborate scheme and, you know, you're like, ah, fuck it. Is, are we good? Oh, yeah, yeah, we're good. And there's one ghost who's, you know, he's just fucking slagging off. Yeah. As we pointed out earlier, you know, Stephen Price, he's known for having several layers of intricacy to whatever he's doing to bend the reality of the people that are around him. Whatever, whatever trick he's trying to pull off on people. So right away... His wife, Evelyn, is just kind of going, she's not buying into any of this stuff. Anything that's ha anything that are happening to them, she feels that her husband's up to it, that he's doing it because she's lived enough of a life with him to know that he's this kind of guy. What helps sell to everybody else that she's probably right is the fact that Jeffrey Rush is just kind of like, that's not me. He's just so low-key casual about I, you know, I don't know what you're talking about. It's not me. It's not me. And we know it's not him. Right. Well, some of it, we, we know, we don't, we don't really know what's him and what's not him, honestly. Right. Because, you know, Max Perlick, who plays his- Because he keeps, yeah, he keeps going all scary movie too on yes. us. Yeah, so Max Perlick plays Shaktory Price's assistant, who we saw doing his shit for him at, at the theme park. He set up in, in a closed circuit room ready to do some shit to them. But <laughs> we discover really quickly all the shit that's happening most certainly isn't him. He's like, man, I ain't doing this shit. Right. Because he's like, he freaks out. He's like, what the fuck? He's like, I didn't lock this place down. Yep. <laughs> it's not me. It, it, maybe, maybe it was the day it was supposed to break. We're fucked. Yeah. I was like, oh, that's a hell. That's a great explanation. And Catan's Pritchett is just kind of constantly going, it's the house. <laughs> it's not the ghosts you have to worry about. It's the evil or whatever. It's Reginald Van Johnson and Die Hard shooting at the lights. Right. It, he's speaking for the whole crowd at the end that's watching the movies for the audience going, it's the house, stupid. Characters like that are always so funny. They don't get, they don't see the obvious, but. And I love how he just keeps drinking. 
like through the whole movie. Like, yeah. dude, every time, like, every time something happens, they cut to Catan and he's just fucking slugging bourbon. <laughs> he's boozing. Yeah, like once the shutters start closing, like we saw at the beginning of the movie, that's happening to our modern day group that's been invited to this party. And once Pritchett hears the noise, he knows what it is and he's fucking out. Right. And he's running for the door. And and I'm thinking, oh my gosh, are we going to have an Indiana Jones moment? He's going to slide under the shutter at the door? No, he doesn't make it. And he just kind of goes, well, fuck. I thought he was going to get cut in half. Yeah, you you could have done that, but... It's a little early to be killing Catan. Yeah, you're kind of like, oh, well, we need him for comic relief, which he is quite a bit in this. He's very funny in it. Bades, absolutely. He's great. One of the things, though, in Frighteners, where Michael J. Fox has his, has two cohorts, the younger, if you were the younger ghosts, if you will, you know, yeah. the link from the mod squad and then the other guy with the glasses, right? There, there's several, uh, there, when this movie, there were things about this movie that totally reminded me of the Frighteners, which also was produced by Zemeckis. Yeah. When you get to the end of this movie and then that guy, and, and then Katan comes back as a ghost to pull the shutter open for him. That they're good, look exactly like the character from Frighteners that I'm talking about. Yeah. Speaking of Jeffrey Combs as well. <laughs> I was going to say, speaking of Herbert West. I mean, he's so good in that. Yeah, dude, he's great in both these movies. And in this movie, he doesn't have to say shit. No. And th it's funny, it was like when you're watching the movie, uh, a movie like this, and, and any of these haunted house movies that came out after this, and I don't mean like Insidious and Conjuring, that kind of stuff where it's it's kind of steeped in reality but i'm talking about the 13 ghost kind of movies that come after this it's not just dark castle stuff it's just that kind of thing we got a lot of movies like this after this it doesn't feel like a series of you know bullet pointed moments from a you know from a boardroom where they're kind of like all right we need this 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 and this now go write the script you know it's like it doesn't feel it doesn't feel like an outline of ideas if you know it's just it, it's that, like i said it, it's the great production design of the movie and the sets and how well and how good they are and how unique they are. They don't, they don't feel like there's, there's so much great integration too and crossover because how, like how they start separating the guests when they're walking through, you know, they always say, let's stick together or like, oh, don't split up because that just means bad news for everybody. Stay, you know, safety and numbers kind of thing, but the house separates them. And usually you don't kind of see that kind of thing where a house is doing doing this stuff usually they're making just poor decisions well because they choose not to do that the ghosts in the house say all right well we'll do it for you <laughs> we're gonna separate you and fuck with you do uh, the the thing and some of the set pieces just the things that are set, dude there's some really creative kills in this uh and some oh, just yeah. disturbing shit in this movie that the zoetrope moment uh, where the go, right. where, you know, where they, where they tossed Jeffrey Rush, dude, that, that literally, I remember in the theater kind of made me a little nauseous. I got a little, I was, I was starting to feel a little disoriented. I was like, good God, fucking stop this shit. Yeah. You know, that blood tank that digs fall that Eddie falls into. Right. Or the ghost of whatever that is. We don't know. Yeah, yeah. There's, you know, all, but those moments, I mean, there's just some really creative fucking mean fucking just wicked shit in this house yeah yeah and, and that's what's so cool about it. it's like when you see you see combs in the beginning with you know all the shit that they're doing in the beginning before they even get overrun by the inmates that's only a taste of what you're going to run into and then, you, then as this movie goes through its paces with this with this party 
in the house fucking with everybody, you see all the stuff that he did that we didn't see before, which I thought was smart because there's a lot of movies where you're going to see all that shit in the beginning right? where they're trying to set up the rest of the movie in the future. And then you see it all again. I'm like, I don't need that. It's the Saw movies kind of take from that a little bit too, where they're like, yeah. All right, what what can we set up here that seems unique? Because right away in a Saw movie, when you're seeing a, a puzzle or a trap, you're like, ooh, what's this? Right. If you saw those sharpened pencils in a Saw movie, sure as shit, they're going to come back and fuck somebody up later. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was waiting at one point. I was like, oh, God, who's going to get killed with a fucking pencil? And how is that going to work? And then, you know, yeah. it didn't happen. Thank God. Yeah. They went, they went the other direction. And something, and not to give away the ending of the movie, but... You know, we mentioned the handful of people that are in this movie and you see some deaths in this movie, but they end up not being real. They may end up just being manipulations of, of someone's psyche in there. You don't, right. Yeah. And, it, and that's another thing that's super clever about the movie. Not surprising that ghosts in an asylum were fucking with you mentally, <laughs> not just scaring you, but they're making you think things are happening that really aren't. That's always a, a key thing to a, a well-executed ghost movie is the ghost manipulating what the living are able to see and not see. Hell, you see that shit in Beetlejuice, right? Oh, yeah. It's super clever on how they handle that. You know, what's funny is like uh, this movie ages well. And 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 if, and if I, I can't say that with any honesty that I, I liked the movie better back then. I definitely like the movie more now. Yeah, me too. Revisiting made a huge difference impression on me and like once you had the idea hey let's cover these movies I'm like yeah that sounds good and we were trying to figure out which one we we're gonna start with I'm like well, we'll just start with the one that kicked it all off yeah it was a great kickoff for the dark castle production company and you know the first i don't know how many years how many was it like the first four or five years right were were straight horror movies and eventually they moved not more than that was like nine years oh yeah and then they moved on to rock and roll being their first non-horror movie but in between that they did some really fun stuff. Lots of remakes in there and that's fine, but they all put their own spin on it. Yeah. And we may or may not be covering a couple of those movies. <laughs> we, well, I mean, look, we, 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 yes, these movies, they just went for it. They're, they're all fun. All of all four of the movies we're going to cover this movie are super fun in their own way, shape or form. And, and I want to, I'm, I'm hoping that as we get into the rest of them, that I, I that I find that I like them more now. I mean, I always did like them. Like I liked this movie, but I, I got to say, I'm like you, I like it way more than I did 20 years ago. To me, it's way more fun. And I don't know if that's just because of the constant getting the same movie over and over the bullshit that happens now. Like they all, you know, and they're all kind of stripped of fun and joy and in the malicious nature of, you know, they, they all kind of just follow a formula. This movie doesn't really follow any formula. <laughs> it's like they took no. three formulas, threw them in a fucking mixer. And, you know, we, we, that's what we got, which to me, this movie's way, the, the thing that's missing from most of these movies. And I didn't realize until we watched this was, is a lot of the fun, the characters, the, the situation, you know, the, the things that are going on, we don't get that in most horror movies now. No. Everything's so goddamn serious. Yeah, and it's true. And there's something else that I, that I think will Joel Silver applies to this, and he something that he has from his action movies, it's always every 10 pages something has to happen. Yeah. And, you know, something explosive has to happen. And you get that in this. Hell, that opening, the opening scene with, with Stephen Price at the, 
when he's being interviewed by Lisa Loeb and her cameraman, James Marsters. <laughs> Dude, how great is that? It wasn't until the end of the movie where I went, oh my gosh, that was Lisa Loeb. With all the Geico commercials lately, I can't believe I didn't like, right? I had to see her name in the cred to like make the connection. I was waiting for her to say, stay, stay, just stay. Yeah. <laughs> just that. From that moment where we set up Stephen Price and the kind of man he is, that that whole thing really is like, all right, cool. That's that moment. That's that's the 10 pages in. Yeah, and it right? And that comes probably 10 pages after that opening in the asylum. Yeah, exactly. You get your big explosion and 10 page bang. And then, uh, you know what, dude? And also, is he not the most, that's the moment where I was like, God damn it. He's just, he's James Woods right now in that elevator. Like that whole, that whole introduction to him, dude. There's like no doubt that he's just doing James Woods. Right. But he feels less like James Woods once he gets, well, like when you see him in his office making the list. Right. And, and after, from that point forward, the only time he, he feels like the James Woods is because he's on camera and he's ratcheted up because he's being interviewed and he's not like that the rest of the way. With the stuff with him and Famka in the house, he's very James Woods. Like when they're having their yeah. private moment, you know, when they're, you know, when they go off to the bedroom and such, you know, the two of them together, they're, dude, they're super fun together too. Their scenes together yeah. are great, yeah. you know, and they're very funny and very antagonistic. <laughs> they, I mean, the movie, I, I don't know anything about the back, but everybody looks like they're having a good time is the other thing. Yeah. Even though they're yeah. in this horror film, the, the, all the actors seem, you know, it's funny. I would say it's probably one of my, it's probably one of the better Tay Diggs performances. He's great in it. Oh yeah, I think so too. Like I said, the casting is great in it, and it's and it works so well with it. And when you, it's funny when you see the one sheet. And I remember the one sheet came out because it was it wasn't until the movie was kind of out there. Everybody's posters kind of look the same, but when you read the headline and six strangers have a chance to make a million dollars each, all you have to do is make it through the night alive. See, I am familiar with the original movie, so I know that there's like it's, I think it's like ten thousand dollars where they're trying to who can last the night they're going to win this money i forgot that aspect of the remake because i always remember the jeffrey combs and the psycho psycho war situation i forgot about the other part but that poster forget about the the text for a moment but the the red hand and then the red overlay of everybody's face this in the palm photoshop job yeah it's boring it's a boring poster the best thing on the poster is the tagline which is buried at the bottom evil loves to party <laughs> Yes, it's perfect, but it, but the rest of it feels like, I don't know, it doesn't feel like a horror movie. It feels like a psychological thriller. It doesn't feel like, like a horror movie. Uh, as far as the poster, it, it tells me something different, you know? Right. I feel like it's, it's got an identity crisis, right? That, that's kind of like, yeah. the, in marketing, they kind of, it's an identity crisis. But then if you look at the movie, it's not strictly a horror movie. It's a bit Agatha Christie. It's a bit, you know, uh, was that 10 Little Indians? It's a bit um, Haunted House. It's a bit uh, Ghost Story. And then it's, it's legit horror because there's some fucking really horrible shit in this movie. And they don't waste, they didn't skimp on the blood. No. I'm shocked that they got an R rating with that much blood and that, you know, cause I know there's a, there's a blood, you know, in how they rate movies. There's a, there's a blood equation. Rick Botta is the DP in this. And the reason why I want to, I want to point out, cause we're, you know, we're big fans of how a movie looks and, you know, yes, a lot of that has to do with art direction, but man, the DP isn't any good to bring that look to life. Then you're going to be in trouble. 
Rick started off in doing some television, ironically in that show, Werewolf, the old Fox show that we talked about, and did some straight to video stuff. But here's something that I think is important to note. He started his career with Joel Silver and Zemeckis with the first Tales from the Crypt movie, Demon Knight. And now when you know it's an Ernest Dickerson movie and you're the DP for Ernest Dickerson. Right. You better be on your shit. <laughs> you better know your shit. <laughs> and he does. He kills that movie. I want to, I wish to give you a fly in the wall back in 94, late 90, early 95 when they were shooting that movie. And just the conversations that Ernest and Rick would have, I can just, oh man, it'd be amazing. But then of course he went on and did a few episodes of Tales from the Crypt itself. And then something we just recently mentioned, <laughs> he did Glimmer Man for Keenan Wayans. Yeah. yeah. Right? So it's like, he's got a great pedigree because he, he's one of those guys that goes, hey, that might be fun. I'm going to do that. Because he went back and forth between television, movies, television, and movies. And, you know, most recently he's spent most of his time working in television, but you got to think it's, it's going to be intriguing stuff because say what you want about Glimmer Man, but before that he did barbed wire, right? Right. And the babysitter and those, I mean, all those movies and television shows look very, very, very different. And that's a, to me, that is the mark of just a, not just a DP it's capable, but an artist, the guy that sees things differently and, and understands that not just the director is different, but the art direction is going to be different and the production design is going to be different. And they know how to bring that to life. And he does a wonderful job in this movie, especially when like I mentioned earlier, when you consider that it was all one location, very limited sets, but they did a great job with it. Fucking, he, he really killed it. And I think it goes without saying that sets the whole thing up. Because, I mean, when we're outside, we're at the theme park, that feels, it's super bright and everything like that. But once we get back to the house again, it's just super gloomy and everything. And, the, and just, it, it works really, really well. And I think that's one of the reasons why they were able to make, bring people in the seats, even with that awful poster. <laughs> Right. I mean, so, man, these movies, hopefully, you know, will help, but I think these movies will like, you know, have a little resurgence. I feel like, you know, everything goes in cycles. Yeah. At a certain point, people are going to look back at, at these dark castle movies and be like, yeah, they are a lot of fun. I wish we could, I wish we wouldn't have shit on them <laughs> because they went away. Right. Yeah. And, and it's, I think it was going to be a natural progression anyway for them to kind of move away from that kind of thing, you know? Yeah. And the last one that they did on, um, and, and the reason why I'm going to point this out now, because it was a, it was a sequel to this movie Return to, ha to house on haunted Hill. That was the last movie they did before they did rock and roll. And, and then after that, it was, psychological thrillers until they got to Dave Parker's The Hills Run Red. And it, but and it's all like action movies and that kind of stuff in between. That's fine because without it, we don't get the, we don't get rock and roll. We don't get The Losers, which is one of our favorite movies that nobody's seen because <laughs> come on now. Right. Um, and of course we move on to a movie we've talked about before and a movie that you worked on or I was like, you worked on Bullet to the Head with Walter Hill. So damn, that's what I'm talking about. Yeah. The house on Haunted Hill is the house that Dark Castle was built on. Yeah. Correct. And, and I'm glad it happened. Yeah, me too, man. Uh, the movie is a lot of fun. It was one of those like, wow, you know, because usually I feel like when, when we go, was it better than you remember? Or, and we usually fall back and say, yeah, it was better then. But this movie is, uh, is better now. I mean, I liked it then, but I enjoyed it yeah. a shit ton. 
I almost enjoyed it enough to go right into return to House on Haunted Hill, but I didn't. No. I may still. I don't know. Would that was that a that was a direct was that direct to video? Or did it, I don't know if it got a theatrical release. I don't remember because I think I had moved on to other shit at the, at this point, like like the rest of the world. Yeah, I think that was a straight to video. This is. Uh, we hope this is a good kickoff for you guys for Dark Castle month. There's a lot to choose from here, so the the, the fun part will be you know, what do we have coming next? And we've already told you where we're working in and hopefully you're already kind of excited about the idea of what we can possibly cover. And at the end of the day, when we wrap things up for kickstart after we're done for the month, we'll kind of like pinpoint some of the other ones that were on the, on the, the fringe of being covered on the yeah. bubble. Cause there's a lot of great stuff that these guys did. We've mentioned quite a few of them already. Um, but this is going to be a fun month for sure. To come on into the castle. Yes. And stay clear of the windows and the doors because the shutters are going to come down. And don't touch anything. <laughs> don't touch anything. That's another thing, too, about this movie, man. The, the, these people weren't afraid to touch shit, but they should have been. Because <laughs> no. it was gross. I mean, Jesus Christ, dude, don't, that's like rule number one. Don't fucking touch anything. <laughs> don't touch anything. Gross. <laughs> if you want to follow us on social media, you can follow the show on Twitter at Karate Pod, or you can follow Corey on Letterboxd at Corey underscore Culp. Or if you want to support the show on Patreon, that's patreon.com slash KITG podcast. And yes, the Instagram account is live. That is at Karate Pod, as it is with Twitter. K-A-R-A-T-E-P-O-D. If you'd like to follow me, you could follow me at Tom on Haunted Hill at Letterboxd. That's Tom on Haunted Hill at Letterboxd. Cody. Just Tom Cody. There's no Tom. There's Letterboxd. no Tom in this movie. Is there? Is there Tom in this movie? No. I'm just wondering. No. No Tom's. I wish. Hey, you Should know be. what? You know, Jeffrey Combs could have been Tom Vanica. We don't know. We have no idea. I'm going to go his name. I'm going to say his Dr. Thomas Vanica. By the way, I'm really happy with this movie, them not having like dumb names. His name is Stephen Price, Evelyn, yeah. Eddie, Sarah. I'm Melissa. Blackburn. Right, dude. It's Pritchard. nice. It's nice that they're just, they have regular names. Peter Graves. Right? <laughs> Peter Graves. Not names like, uh, God, what is it? Cameron Poe. <laughs> Just these fucking ridiculous names. Cameron Poe might be the stupidest name in any movie we've covered. Quote the Raven nevermore. 